0: But the kind of exposure he gave me was so much. In fact, you know, he used to give me some toughest of the jobs and I used to really curse him and said, oh, I'm a guy with just three, four months of experience and he's giving me such tough jobs. You know, doesn't he know what he's doing? But now when I look back, I think those things really, really made me what I am today. Caution. Listening to this
1: podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World Podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis. And I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World Podcast. Welcome back podcast family. Today, we are spicing things up and speaking with an industry veteran who is super passionate about technology. His name is Sunil Goyal, and he's from New Delhi, India. His career of close to three decades speaks volumes of his sharp business acumen and leadership skills. And after spending the first few years of his career in the corporate world, Sunil quickly started his entrepreneurial journey back in 1993 when he co-founded Momentum Technologies. He and his co-founder ventured into offshore development for software services during the dot-com boom in 2000. And at that time, City Ventures invested in Momentum Technologies, and soon the software arm grew rapidly, and they expanded across Noida in India, as well as Vancouver and Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. And after some rapid growth, the company went through multiple acquisitions and is now part of Sopra, a European leader in digital transformation. Since then, Sopra merged with Steria and has over 5,000 people across their India division. And after Sopra's merger with Styria, Sunil became the CEO of the company's India operation and now leads an organization of over 6,000 people. Sunil is a great humanitarian by heart, and he is deeply involved in their customer service activities of the organization and is working closely on education and community health related projects. I am super, super excited to have Sunil join us today. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it's evening your time right now in India. I appreciate you spending time with us. There's so much for us to learn about your life, your experiences, everything that you've accomplished, and the amount of people that you've been able to help throughout your career. I want to be able to extract a lot of that wisdom and kind of precipitated out to the rest of our Career Meets World community. So, welcome to the show, Sunil.
0: Thank you, Edward. It's a great pleasure for me to be with you this morning. And uh, it's really my an honor to speak to you this, this morning. Thank you. Of course, Sunil.
1: Welcome. Uh, I know it took us some time to get you on the show, but I'm glad you're here. Let's dive right in and really, I want to understand a little bit about kind of what you've been up to lately and what your primary focus has been throughout the pandemic. So many different people have obviously focused on mindset, on health, on just thinking through new innovative solutions to push out into the future. And as you're running uh, your company right now in India, there's a lot going on, there's a lot to manage. So over the last couple of months, what have you been specifically focused on as it relates to kind of your business?
0: Yes, the last uh, five months, I think there have been lots of learning when I actually look back. Uh, you know, March 1st week when we had the first case in Delhi, which was COVID positive. And we thought that, okay, it must be one of the incidents and we are still safe. There is no problem. It's only for China, etc. But then within 10 days, I think the thing started going very quickly. We had to put off, uh, a lot of things in place, a quick committee to decide how we are going to respond to it. But at that point of time, also, we never thought what's going to happen. I mean, really, what happened after two, three weeks? And uh, we were still, I think, in a denial mode that, oh, it's OK, nothing is going to happen. And suddenly, I remember it was 19th of March, uh, before which, obviously, our prime minister had announced a couple of announcements of closing down some of the international flights that we came to no event that flights from US would be closed on 22nd. That's where reality really struck us. And as an organization, as you know, we are an IT services company in India, working from five different locations, four cities, 6,000 people. And uh, we had only around, I would say, 30% of our workforce, which was really mobile, I you mean, know, who had laptops and could still work from home but 70% of the workforce was not like that. Secondly, a lot of customers had a lot of security regulations because of which we just could not open up our network and work. And every day in the morning from 7 to 11 in the night, we were still struggling, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then we had this announcement from our prime minister saying that what he called is a janta curfew, which basically meant that for one full day on a Sunday he's going to keep everything closed. And once that announcement was done, then this thought, oh my God, I, it, it's just not too far away. And that's where I think, you know, what we had been thinking of working from home for the last, I would say four or five years, every time we thought about it, something or the other came up and we could not do it. And those four or five years, I think it really accelerated so quickly that within three days, we got laptops and brains, we got dongles, we got internet connections, Parallelly, we were talking to our customers to see that without compromising on security, how our people could move. We did not have any laptops, uh, so we went on for rentals and so on and so forth. Now, when I look back, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, a lot of. It's like an army where you know you decide at one place, but then the execution happens at each and every place. I think that's what really happened. And uh, last minute, we took a decision to actually move desktops to people's house. You know, and desktops when you move, then there are associated issues. And then I remember it was a Monday morning when I came back sitting in this room, thinking how it's going to work and my, I, I don't know, the feelings which went through is very difficult to describe. And slowly when the day went by, the week went by, it started getting dawning, No, I think this is something which is going to be long term. Fortunately, I think the whole team, my leadership team, my people, they all really came together to make it work, whether it was HR or the IT, the managers, the facilities, the procurement. I mean, it was that amazing leadership and coordination, cooperation, which really made it happen. And after 10, 12 days, when we saw that, yes, we had a big spurt of issues initially because even the IT people were working from home, HR was working from home. Finance was working from home, and we had never done it earlier. Like as I said, we had never had a work from home policy. But then, slowly, it started running, and I said, no, I think this is for the long term. We Also, I think uh, that the remote working, which I was not sure how it's going to work, I did not enough, to be honest with you, I did not have confidence on the Indian telecom network, whether it would be able to sustain the things. But I think two, three weeks later, I was pleasantly surprised the way everything was working, I don't know. In India, sometimes we say that you know half the project manages, management is done by someone up, you know. <laughs> but but it really worked well. But then afterwards, a lot of other things started coming in that instead of five locations, now we were working from 6,000 locations. There were people who were still not enabled with the, the hardware. Then we had to quickly digitize our process systems, make a lot of changes there. And I think what really worked was our agility. And that's where I would say that uh, something which I had started talking to my team in 2009, the concept which came from the US Army, VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's a term which I think the US Army coined in 1980s. And I have been a strong believer on this. And being an entrepreneur initially in my life, we obviously went through a lot of VUCA moments. So I think that was something which kept us possibly prepared and the biggest thing which we today talk about agility. So VUCA, obviously, you know, you can be only successful if you're agile. And I'm sure there are a lot of many other companies already did the same, but but definitely this really helped us. And after three, four weeks, obviously, the things were different. We had to think about how do we get people to work remotely? How do we take care of our employees' health? Initially, obviously, in India, for the first two, two and a half months, We did not have a big challenge. Obviously, in the last uh, one and a half months, is completely changed. But then to also take care of mental well-being of our workforce. So there were a lot of new things which got designed. And I'm really amazed the way our HR team and IT teams really work towards changing everything. For example, giving you a small example. We do this felicitation when people complete five years, 10 years. We go to their desk, give them some Awards and then people speak up, you know, speak about it, do the felicitations. And even our team came out with saying that no, let's not stop this, let's do this virtually. So everything moved virtually. And for me as an individual, I'm really used to feeling people's pulse. You know, I can't work unless I move on the corridor, speak to 10 people. And when I did my first town hall, which was like a virtual town hall. And I said, my God, I'm speaking to a screen. I can't see people's emotions. I can't see their body language. What am I going to speak? So it was not very easy for me to do my first town hall. But once I did it, and I said, no, I think my people require me, I need to go and talk to them more and more. So I did a couple of town halls, and we did one with around 1,000 people virtually. And yes, now I think, yes, I am going to try to cover the five-month journey very quickly, but uh, it's been lots of highs and lows. But when I look back, it gives me a great sense of satisfaction that we have ensured that our employees' well-being is taken care, of, their psychological well-being is taken care. Of. Uh, from our customers' perspective, we have ensured that we don't compromise on their SLAs. Obviously, initially, it took us some time to adjust to it. But I think uh, largely we have not disappointed any of our customers. But I would like to hear, hear really, really acknowledge our customers' I mean, they really supported us. I think otherwise, uh, even very large customers, I mean, for a uh, confidential reasons, I can't name them, but the top tier one customers in France, UK, and other parts of continental europe they really came and supported us and that's what made it work. And now obviously, I think the feeling which I'm going through is, okay, we have come so far, how long the pandemic is going to be there? And what's the future, you know, how is it going to translate it to and transform? So, sorry, Edward, a slightly longer answer to your short question, but lots of emotions, feelings, change in my own behavior. And yes, I think it's been fantastic as far as our employees and customers are concerned, because these are two important pillars in a business.
1: I think I'm in awe of everything you just said, because it is obviously a loaded question. There's so much that happened over the last five months at this point, and You hit on a lot of really important points, many, many businesses. And I specifically wanted to have you join us on the show because you bring this fresh and new perspective from a developing country that is so large and important in the business continuity of the world as a whole. So your perspective on how things have been operating in India, the infrastructure, kind of the general perspective from the government, the the politics in play, but you as a leader of such a large organization, remind me there's about five, 6,000 people in your company right now. Yeah, 6,000 people. Exactly. So it is not easy to lead a small army, but as you mentioned, there's a lot of preparation that happened over the last couple of years to build in that web, that glue, the infrastructure that goes into sustaining this machine, because these are the moments that we prepare for right? I think there's so many interesting analogies that come from the preparation of companies that have done quite well and thrive throughout this period of time. And it just boils down to preparation. And that's the most difficult thing that any company, any individual, any country has to go through. And I commend you for doing that. And again, I appreciate you sharing what's been going on in India and how things have kind of involved in a microcosm of this whole pandemic that's affected obviously the entire world but i i want to dig into more of your thought process because that's what intrigues me about sunila and how you think how you operate because that's the wisdom that you provide to so many people so can you kind of unpack what helped you early on in your life build up the right mentality the right mindset the right outlook to deal with these difficult situations when they do
0: come up? Yeah, That's again, very interesting question, Edward. And I think it also goes back to, as you know, in India, we still believe in a kind of joint family where even when you're cross 18, you still stay with your parents and with your grandparents and extended relatives. Uh, So a couple of things uh, I would try to ensure that I don't go into too much of details, but I, I, uh, my father was uh, kind of, I would say, first graduate from his village, and my mother had not even completed class six of her education, so she had not studied a lot. But then she got me and my two brothers and my sister. My brother is a PhD in computer science from UT Austin. My youngest uh, brother is a chartered accountant. Uh, my uh, sister did a master's in art. So all of us studied, and I graduated from IIT Roorkee. So I think, but what really I saw uh, was my family values. I've seen my father grow from at a very junior level to a vice president level just within 11 years. I saw the kind of hard work which he did, but also then I saw him struggling uh, through his career, but never compromising on his ethics and values. And even the toughest of the situation when he came across because the multiple things which I've seen him doing at age of 36, he completely set up a new paper plant right from scratch to the production without having any experience in paper and then he uh, revived a sick meal but during all these times i saw that one thing what he really really never compromised was ethics and values and second is yes uh, in india we are a god fearing country we believe in hard work and sincerity and ownership etc but at the same time you know something which Gita, which is one of our like Bible for us. Uh, some of the principles really drive the behavior. And that's where we say that, okay, let's do our best. And then let's leave the results to you know someone else and not let's worry about the result. But let's put in everything what, can, what it can take without compromising those ethics and values. So this is one learning which I had from my family, from my social system, even from my education. So that was, that made a big, big, big change. The second was, I think when I joined my first job and this was in the early nineties you know, 89 and the boss uh, who was there, he was actually my senior from the college. So uh, it was kind of, I had a good relationship with him but the kind of exposure he gave me was so much. In fact, you know, he used to give me some toughest of the jobs and I used to really curse him. He said, oh, I'm a guy with just three, four months of experience and he's giving me such tough jobs. You know, doesn't he know what he's doing? But now when I look back, I think those things really, really made me what I am today because that learning which I've got was, you know, trust your people, give them something which is slightly above their capabilities. If they fail, be there to support them. If they succeed, give them their, you know, credit to credit for it. So I think that initial trust, which my my senior built in me and gave me some, some of the toughest jobs Obviously, I became an entrepreneur at the age of 26. My daughter was just 20 days old. And that's another story, but we will we'll come to it. But I think all these things really, really, you know, uh, enabled me to work with, which I termed earlier, the VUCA, the volatility and uncertainty parts. And I think during this whole journey, you know, my guiding principles have been whatever come, it may happen, but don't give up on our ethics and values. And when you keep that as a guiding principles, a lot of things become easier to work on.
1: You're so right. And we, we learn a lot through our family, through maybe be religion, through other forms of just teachings about ethics and values and principles. And this is a time, especially during difficult times when it gets tested and we cannot compromise on a lot of the things that have made us who we are and we can't create shortcuts for ourselves, because that is the only way to successfully operate for both employees, our peers, our family, our customers, especially, right? No business would survive without its customers. And we can't cut corners there. So again, I appreciate that you stay true to your values, and you stay true to your core. Because again, part of the main reason why I wanted to start Career Meets World is to continue to grow and foster a community of people who believe that business can be done through the strong work, the strong mindset, the right ethics, and the right values. And as we continue to grow this community globally, that's what I want people to walk away with. And again, Sunil, you're like a model of what that looks like and how to continuously do this throughout your career. No matter what company you've been at and no matter where you've been working, obviously you've spent time building out companies in India, you spent time building out companies in North America, and we'll get to that in a second, but it was always consistent for you. And that's such an important reminder that once you define your values, obviously they have to have morals and standards around them. Stay true to them. That is your North Star. That's your guiding light and as we think about that and as we continue to talk about what you've done and how you've done it Sunil, i do want to jump into your experience coming from india and coming to north america i believe it was vancouver and i'll let you kind of divulge a little bit more of that story but what was that experience like because you had so many of those fundamentals yet you chose to pack up leave and start something brand new and I want to learn what that journey, that experience is like because there are so many people who are are at this inflection point right now and trying to figure out what do they want to do next? Should I move? Should I pack up? Especially in the United States and I'm sure this is prevalent in every single country. People are trying to figure out should I stay in my current city in a metropolitan area? and people don't necessarily have those answers so I think your story of movement can be a good kind of principle and set that foundation for how to think about should I make that decision so can you expand on that a little bit please
0: yeah so Edward this answer will be slightly longer because before Vancouver I'll have to go seven years back so this is a story when I was working at Wipro where I met my future business partner, Pankaj, who was also with me in the college, he was one year senior to me. So both of us one day decided to leave the organization and start something on our own. Uh, obviously, it took a year of planning. But when we left the company, um, we obviously had no money in our pockets. It was just a dream. It was just something that fire in the belly that we need to do something. And um, uh, we started actually from his drawing room, and. Uh, Again, the greatest support which we had was from our family. So my dad told me because I was married and I had a 20 days old kid. He said, as long as you want to eat simple food, you want to stay here, absolutely no problem. But beyond that, I can't uh, give you any other support because he was doing a job. But in case, I think uh, one couple of learnings we had in the first seven years of our journey. Um, One is we had to close three businesses in six months because. What we started initially with direct marketing, I think that time it was too early, possibly in 93, where the concept was not really, really ingrained in the Indian business. Then we did something else, it didn't work out. We did something else, it didn't work out. But I think today when we look back, I think it was good that we did not stick to something and just went on trying, because if you had done that, possibly we would have failed and I wouldn't have been speaking to you. So I think that's very, very key sometimes for us as entrepreneurs that yeah, we need to be passionate about what we want to do. But at times, sometimes we have to take practical decisions and say, okay, if it's not working, it's fine. Let's get on to something else. And we actually started selling Wipro hardware, which what we were doing before we got into business, it was more of a chance. And here I want to take a moment to really, really thank Wipro. Great organization because uh, Mr. Azim Premji, who's still one of the richest Indian. And the kind of organization he created, again, I spoke about ethics and values. Again, this organization really made us believe that, yes, you know, you can work with that. Uh, Mr. Premji used to really regard GE as one of the kind of idle companies in those days. And obviously, uh, that was a, uh, I, th- I think that was the right thing to do. And the last thing I want to say here is we would not have been here in case if Wipro had not supported us because the kind of support they gave was amazing. Uh, Just to give you a small thing. So we had given a direct marketing proposal to Wipro to sell their notebooks or laptops. That was a new thing in 93 in India. And it was a kind of a high value product or a uh, lifestyle product. And then Wipro said that why you you want to sell your ideas to someone else, why don't you start doing it yourself? We said no. We don't have any money to do it. And believe me, in 24 hours—I'm talking about 93—we talk about agility today. But Wipro was agile at that time. In 24 hours, they came out with a new notebook policy, a dealer policy for us, faxed to us, and said, "Start tomorrow. Don't worry about money. Give it to us when you earn it." Uh, you know. And me and Pankaj, both of us had professional background. But that really gave us the kickstart. You know, many times when you get that small start, then I think you can do wonders. We went on to become the top two dealers in north of India, among the top 10 in the country within six, seven years, created a good organization, made good money. But then I think what was happening was, hardware business was becoming more of commodity. And we wanted to get away from that trading, only you know, just okay, uh, you know, you make two person margin and, just sell the boxes so from a solution it was getting into boxes that's when in india software was really becoming the key in 99 2000 because of the y2k so that's where we decided to get into software uh, but we were very clear that we will not do body shopping because in the early 2000 in india whatever we say 80 85 percent of the business was body shopping whatever we said exports but it was like that and my business partner Pankaj said no sonal We were doing machine training earlier, so let's not do body shopping. We will do only offshore. Now, when we look back, it was a great decision because um, when the 9-11 happened, the dot-com doom happened, anyone who had only body shopping business, it really came down. But for us, since we had an offshore model, we could survive. But just to take the story back, a few steps back again, so when we started the software business, another third partner joined us. He was again from Wipro, And me and Pankaj had never written a line of code, but we knew how to run a business. And Pramod, who was our third partner, really helped us the whole knowledge on the software. And Pankaj started traveling to the U.S. on business visas to see. And believe me, for the first six months, we got zero dollars of business. He was traveling. He used to come back. And he used to tell me that, Sunil, you know, I'm making some thousand calls, and not even a single person calls me back. It's a humiliating experience or a humble experience that you know you call people, you leave a voicemail, but nothing happens. But I think it's the same thing You know, as an entrepreneur, you never give up. And I still remember when we got our first order from the US, it was $9,000. And I think we were above the sky. We said, oh, this is great. And we continued to work hard. Pankaj used to travel to US and come back. And that's when it was a dot-com boom period. So City Ventures, uh, we we approached them through someone and then they decided to invest in us. So they only invested in the management team because we had nothing much to show. But uh, so they invested the money. And by that time, Pankaj had already got a, a PR for Canada. So he said, okay, now we have the money. We need to set up offices in North America and not a temporary one. So since he had a PR for Canada, he decided to shift to Canada. And his elder brother used to stay in Seattle, used to work for Microsoft, and now he's also an entrepreneur. So Seattle was closest to uh, Vancouver, so that's where he decided to go there. And me and Pramod decided to stay in India. Uh, So we were looking after operations, me after operations, Pramod after technology, and Pankaj after sales and strategy. So that's the way our organization got created, Uh, across two different continents and three countries, Canada, U.S., and in India. And even in U.S. in Seattle, we could hire a person who used to work with us in Wipro. Now, why I just want to mention about it, why Wipro made us dealers was the relationship which we kept with Wipro, the professional ethics. For example, when I was living Wipro, they told me, Sunil, instead of one month, can you stay back for two months because we have this, this to complete? And I said, fine, it's okay because I'm not living for another job. I'm living for starting my own business. So one month doesn't matter any much. Same thing, Pankaj left on a great relationship. And that actually paid us off because, you know, the way they gave us a dealership without paying any advances or anything like this, it won't have happened. And then we got a lot of support from everyone at Wipro to give us those initial support because that's what is required, some support, and then you can jump up and in the software again vancouver was not a strategic movement it was more of a chance because uh, what really happened but when we look back now it was a great thing for us to do because vancouver we did not have any indian software companies most of them were on the east coast in toronto because notel and everyone was there so we were able to go to the small and medium enterprises who were doing product development and we set up teams for them, etc. And uh, because we all came from professional background, uh, we ensure that we create the right teams for them. And so that's the way the whole business got created. And I would say, uh, Edward, you know, many a times we focus too much on strategy. I think it's important, but I think sometimes a lot of things happen by luck. And if I look back, yes, we put in that hard work, we put in everything. But sometimes it's also right thing at the right time when it happens. You really kick off. So that's what I think really happened with us that city investment came in right time. And then we set up our office in Vancouver. Uh, we got the initial, you know, uh, I would say the, the growth which came in the industry. And uh, today, when I look back, yes, I think what we never compromised upon was our employees, our customers. I mean, one incident I would like to uh, share with you. You know, when we were selling hardware business, so our, it was my second or third order where I got an order for six laptops. And this was for the chairman and CEOs of one large company. It was called Usha Beltron. My delivery period was four weeks. And as it would have happened those days, it used to come from Taiwan and other places. Uh, six weeks, nothing happened. And I used to get a call from the person who placed that order on me, you know, at eight in the night, nine in the night. And I used to say that to oh my God, you know, why should I take this call? But I think this is something which I learned that whatever it may happen, never, never refuse a customer call. Hear him out. And then I think, you know, it will be okay. So we used to take this call from this GM, general manager, at even in the night, in the night allow him to vent it out. And then he used to say, I know, I know it's not your problem. It's uh, guys or on and so forth. And there's a lot of things which happened, finally everything got resolved in eight weeks instead of four weeks. And you know, we had an LD clause, late delivery clause there, where four percent was to be deducted. And I remember when I went to this customer to take my payment, he gave me the check and he said, Sunil, since in the contract, I was supposed to deduct four percent, I've done this. I said, no, sir, it was your right to do it, thanks. Absolutely not a problem. In the moment I said that, he gave me another check, check which had that four percent money. And, you know, it's really, when you think about it, you start getting a bit emotional. But then he said, why I'm giving this is, I saw you and Pankaj never, never refusing a call, never telling me any lies. You told us exact status what it is there. And that really moved me. So that's the reason I'm giving you back your LD money. So I think this customer sensitivity, you know, that's really, really the key. You cannot, you have to be very transparent to your customers. You have to have that customer support has to be, you know, what we call it as delight to the customer, delight to your employees. And if you get these two things right, a lot of other things then obviously is, is you know, gets in place. But I think uh, some of these initial things gave us great learning. And uh, yes, I think, you know, when you start thinking back, there are so many, le- so many things which come to your mind, but this particular incident with this particular general manager, I'm still in touch with him, by the way, Uh, and it's, uh, you know, we, we sometimes talk about those incidents at work.
1: You are a treasure trove of knowledge and information and wisdom. And as you mentioned continuously, it is so, so important to stick true to your values, to your morals, to your principles, to serve people the right way. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether you're selling a product or service, you're early in your career, you're late in your career do not cheat the process and you never did that throughout your entire career and clearly it was evident that this customer is willing to still pay you this four percent penalty that they could have withheld and it all boiled down to your work ethic so as, as people think about who they want to become how they want to evolve how they want to change ask yourself, are you true to who you are? Ask yourself, do you want to continue being this human being right now? Because you could always change. We have this perception. I'm curious what it's like in India, but we have to put on a facade of who we are and how people want to perceive us. But the reality is people are going to do a lot more for the world if they start to exude their true self and their true energy and their true being. And That's again, what Sunil and I want to convey to so many people is that just be true to yourself and realign, tweak, change, adapt, but know that luck is a part of life. And Sunil, you've had a good amount of it throughout your career. And I'm glad that you're transparent with it because so many people think that entrepreneurs or successful CEOs or anyone on C-suite has this magical potion when it comes to rising to the top but it just boils down to the basics. It's work ethic, it's persistence, it's not giving up, it's realizing that we all have an opportunity to do good in this world. Life is truly, truly short. And we have this ability to manifest whatever we were given and what we are able to do in this world. So Sunil, as you think about kind of the listeners and the people who really ingest your wisdom What would be some of your advice on, doesn't matter whether or not you're early in your career, later on, but thinking about how do I define who I wanna be, how I wanna perceived and be true to yourself rather than what society is telling us to
0: become. Absolutely, Edward and I will just take a step back on what you said because you know these days we do get a lot of these questions that what are the top competencies of leader, what it should be and so on and so forth. And there's so many things. Thousands of books have been written on leadership, et cetera. But what he said, I just want to take one more, uh, you know, talk about one incident which happened with me a couple of many, many years back. Uh, there was this conference which I had attended and uh, the CEO on the stage, you know, he was talking some great things. And while he was talking, I said, why can't I do this? Why is it not possible? And obviously he was a successful person. So I thought, oh, this is great. And, I'm not able to do it, maybe because of some reasons, but I think I I need to bring this in myself and in my organization. And while those emotions and feelings and thoughts were going in my mind, obviously he finished his speech and presentation and he came back to, so we were kind of configured in round table, So he came back to his round table where his, uh, I think his team was there. And you know, what he said in the next few seconds, believe me, I think that really, really changed a lot of things in me. You know, immediately said, okay, now whatever I had to sell the stage is gone. Let's finish. Let's come back to the real world. And I said, what? Whatever he was saying, the stage was, was that just a facade which he had created and just said because people wanted to hear that. But that's not something which really he practices in his organization. And I saw his team laughing with them. It's because it was a CEO. So they needed to do that. But then what went in my mind is, Will these people trust him? Because today they know that he's saying something else and doing something else. So tomorrow they are not going to trust him when they tell, when he tells them something. And that's a day I decided I will need to keep. I will keep only one face. When I talk to an employee, whatever I tell him in front, that is what I will tell him at his back. I'm not going to have two different facades. I will just have one. And this is something which sometimes when I tell people, I try to take a 360-degree feedback, they tell me that is authenticity is something which is one of my strengths. But if I go back, I think that particular incident made me you know. I think we cannot say something which we don't do, or we should not do what we don't say. And the second thing is also that which I decided for myself is you know, don't give advices which you don't follow for yourself, because it's so easy to give any advice you know, you read 10 things and you can copy paste from there and say that, but unless you have practiced it, unless you have seen what, you know, how to really, really uh, make it happen, et cetera, not do that. So I think uh, uh, the the two real two things, which I think have become always my, uh, I would say guiding, guiding f- factors, authenticity and trust, because trust again is something which has been spoken so many times In fact, every day we say, trust me, trust me. But end of the day, you know, that's not the way the things happen. But possibly I was very lucky during my, this whole life. I think personally, the people I've met at my personal level as friends, even professionally, I think uh, uh, I never had to come across a situation where either at a personal level or professional level, someone really, really broke my trust. In fact, uh, many years back, this was almost, I would say, uh, 20 years back or 15 years back when i read this book uh, by stephen covey seven habits of highly effective people i think one habit i have really carried from there is how to build good trust you know where he compares trust to a deposit in a bank and you need to deposit before you can take it out and believe me i don't remember the other six i said can i master this in my life and if i can do it that's fine but i think that's something which is really with the key and the second is yes sometimes because in India especially, people are not very direct. If you have to give a feedback, you try to look you know, left, right, try to kind of give it around. I know in the US you're very direct, but even when you're direct, how can you be authentic in terms of saying what you really mean and, you know, there are no hidden uh, feelings behind it. So when you're giving that feedback, maybe the person may not like it, but maybe goes back to his place, his home or his office, then he would think back and says, yes, yes, I think if this guy has told me, let me think about it. Because on the other side, if anyone has given me feedback, I've always taken it because the belief I have is only people who care for you would give you feedback. Because if he's taken out time and told you something, that means he cares for you. So don't be defensive about anything anyone tells you. Absorb it, go back. If you feel it is right, you know, implement it. If you feel it's wrong, fine, forget it. But don't be defensive. Don't try to... Start arguing with someone who gives you feedback. Feedback is something which is very, very valuable. And encourage your peers, your juniors, your seniors, your family members, everyone to give you their feedback because that's something which can really, really, you know, the learnings that you can have from there is far, far more higher than anything else.
1: Absolutely. And what I'd encourage people kind of carrying off from what you just said is look at feedback as opportunity, an opportunity to really figure out who you wanna become, how you wanna harbor that feedback and channel it into something positive. And of course, feedback is not necessarily reflective of everything that you personally do or you personally are. Sometimes it's a reflection of the other person, but more often than not, people cringe when they get feedback and because they're scared of a different opinion, a different thought. And I'll be very honest. There was a period in my life where I didn't want feedback and you feel almighty and you think you figured everything out. Nobody has it figured out. Nobody has it figured out. So for me, it was just a learning lesson that the more feedback I get, the better. Um, whether it was in my kind of corporate professional life, whether I was in college, whether it was my parents, and even now building out this business, there's so many things that I don't know. There are so many blind spots. We are incompetent in a lot of things that we are not conscious about. And that's something I always say is you don't know what you don't know. So take that feedback. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Sunil. And as you mentioned, and to kind of reinforce your values and the advice that you're sharing with people is always be authentic, always provide trust to people. And it kind of surfaced a quote that I remembered, which is, it takes years to build up trust and only seconds to break it. So if one of your guiding principles truly is trust, then maintain it throughout your whole life. There is absolutely no reason to break it because it's so hard to build. And as you've gone throughout your career, you've built up trust with so many different people, so many different organizations across countries, you've worked at multinational corporations. That type of trust is difficult to build, but the only reason you are able to do it is because you're authentic the entire time. So to to really think about your career and how you've been able to work across kind of different countries, different uh, languages, cultures and Part of what i want to extract from your experience is the complexity the difficulty and working with different cultures and obviously look in the united states there are different cultures and it's a land of immigrants but in india there are so many different pockets of the country that have unique perspectives on life they worship different gods they look at different religions and they operate differently on a socioeconomic status. So how did you learn to operate cross-culturally, both within your country, as well as kind of at an international level?
0: Absolutely. No, no, that's a great thing. And this is something which uh, obviously I'm still learning it, but I can't say that I have mastered everything, but there are two, three facets of it. One is, I think, you know, in terms of how things work. So for example, initially for the first, uh, um, you know, 11 years of my career from 89 to 2000, I was mainly working in the Indian businesses, you know, domestic business as we call. And here it's very common that someone gives you time of 9.30, uh, he won't even come and meet you at 9.45. And when he finally meets you, possibly doesn't feel even sorry at this. And that's something, you know, though it's, i decided to stay in india and i'm very proud of the indian culture but you know ist which is the indian standard time sometimes we call it as indian stretchable time so i was used to it and it was fine and i still remember when i went to vancouver for the first time in 2000 2002 and i was staying at my business partner's house and we had a meeting and uh, so i was having my shower and suddenly i see a knock on my door and my business saying please get ready fast we're getting late uh, Metro will be coming at 8.23. I said, this guy must be joking, 8.23, what does it mean? <laughs> I, I didn't really appreciate that. Anyways, when we reached the metro station, the train was exactly on time at 8.23, though now in India we have the metro, so you know it's a slightly different, but I'm talking about 2002. And then we reached the customer's place at 9.30, and I said, okay, I have a time for a coffee, let me take it, because he's not going to meet us before 9.45. But I was shocked, surprised, amazed that at 9.30, dot, the secretary comes and says, Mr. Pankaj and come, Sunil, come for the meeting. And that kind of changed a lot of my perspective about what punctuality means. I think I got my punctuality lessons from dealing with the West world. And this is what today I drive within. But I think that was really an eye-opening. Now I see, obviously, there's a bit of change in you know, the way French works, the way Germans work, the way UK works. Because for UK, 9.30 means 9.30. For French, possibly 9.30 could be 9.31. So so that's so one is, you know, in terms of how you work, there's a cultural aspect. But also then there are many other things. But I think the guiding principle for me on this has been, Edward, just respect all cultures. Don't think that your culture is better than theirs or their culture is better than you. Appreciate the goodness in every culture. And if there is something which you don't like, it's okay. Just adapt to it. And that's what I did when I was working either with US or Canada or even when I started working with French, a lot of people told me that, you know, you won't be able to survive with a French for more than six months. And today it's been 15 years. Uh, obviously, they have a different style of working. Uh, they would the decision time, uh, you know, the time taken to take decision is slightly more hierarchical structure is something similar to India. But I did try to read about different cultures But then at the end of the day, I said, no, let the guiding principle be, let me appreciate everyone's culture, everyone's habits, and not say that, oh, my habit is better than his, or his is better than me, no. Whatever is good, invite that. And whatever you don't like, just appreciate it and respect it. I think I would use the word respect for others' culture. And I was surprised that when I did this, and whenever we had people, because today we work across all the European countries, obviously North America, Sometimes in Africa, Middle East, and each of these is very, very different. And some nuances of the business you need to learn. I mean, I'll give you a small example, maybe very, you know, maybe one. But you know, initially when we started working with uh, the French guys, you know, uh, and I had a French person who was here with us. And one day he came to me and he said, you know, Suril, uh, this is a male interaction which has happened with one of your guys with. A project manager in France, and he is very, very angry. Uh, so, can we just discuss it? I said, fine. I looked at the mail and I said, what's the problem? You know, this looks perfectly fine. And he said, okay, since I've stayed in India now for two, three months, I understand. But when this guy has written this mail, he has so many exclamation marks after what he has written. And the French would take this as shouting. I said no. He was expressing his happiness. It was not shouting. But he said no. The exclamation marks are taken by French as shouting, and and then if you write anything in red again, it is taken as if you're angry. And French normally would not, uh, you know, do this. The second was in India, which is more driven, I would say, by the American system, where you know the reward and recognition. We really, really like it. Whereas in France, if you do a good work, you know, your manager would not even come and tell you that you've done good. So. Right or wrong, but that's the way they work. You're expected to deliver the best, and that's it. There is no emotional, uh, you know, outcome after that. They won't even come and tell you that thank you for doing a great job. Whereas uh, my person here was expecting that, you know, please, please tell me if I've done good. Write me that. So then we started, you know, doing things like working with Indians, working with French, working with UK, and we did a lot of those cross-cultural. But very early, I think, first days. I try to change myself to a few things, like I spoke about that punctuality and try to learn a few things. And whenever now I meet a person of a different nationality, I would go and ask him, okay, you know, I just want to be very, very open and say that I don't know nothing. Just tell me some things which you don't like, something which you like. And if you find me doing something wrong, please feel free to tell me. And being that open and honest, I think helps. And I would like to also maybe uh, just talk about one more incident, you know, uh, in 2015 was the first time when actually I visited the US because before that I was only going to Canada and to uh, France and other parts of Europe. And in US, I'd gone to, uh, you know, my son was joining UT Austin, so I'd gone to drop him off. And I was staying at my friend's place in Dallas and they were Indians, but they had been staying in Dallas for the last 15, 16 years. And the first thing when I went there, I said, "You know, can you tell me what are do's and don'ts staying in this house?" And they looked at me and said, "You're the first person who's asking because any of our friends and families who come, they just take things for granted." And then they told me, "You know, you need to do this. You don't need to do this. For example, even a simple thing like in India, when you go to a toilet, you know it's all wet, whereas in West it would be all dry, right?" Sometimes you think this is such normal, simple thing. Why can't you understand? But no. This is the way we have grown in India, and whereas in West, they have grown in very, very differently. So I think uh, being open to ask something which you don't know, that helps you to appreciate the other person's culture. And I think we should respect everyone's habits, eating habits, talking habits, and everything else. And if you keep that as a guiding line, I think it is very easy to work with any culture. And the trust factor, Edward, I saw that whether it is Japanese, I've worked with them as customers, Germans, UK, North America, Canadians, and US, I think, you know, this is similar everywhere. and That comes from what you deliver, what you do, what you say, etc. But I think this is a common thing which links across all cultures. Absolutely. And,
1: And again, I think what you're mentioning right now is super important to think about as it comes to awareness around culture, You brought up the fact that even traveling to Dallas and seeing uh, people who are also Indian, but have assimilated maybe a little bit more to American culture, have different values, have different principles, but at the root of it, your approach, and the approach is so, so important, was to go into that situation with respect. And as anyone in their career, whether you have or are going to start working internationally or even within your own country, knowing that there are people of different cultures, understand that they have different practices, different principles, whether it be as, at a cultural level or at an individual level. And again, treating those people with respect, approaching the situation the right way is the only way to operate and really succeed in working at a multinational company or working internationally with customers and with coworkers as well. So. Please keep that in mind. Sunil, thank you so much for sharing that. And as always, and as we near the end of our conversation, we make sure to put every single one of our guests through the hot seat and ask you some fun and challenging questions. So, Sunil, are you ready? Okay, yes. Let's do this. So we'll keep this relatively light, but I do wanna make sure that uh, we learn a little bit more about you. So Sunil, uh, I can only imagine that you've acquired a lot of your knowledge through either reading or maybe even podcasts nowadays. What are some of your favorite books and or podcasts?
0: Yeah, so podcasts have done slightly lesser. So it been mostly through books and uh, as well as my mentors. In India, we have this guru shisha principle. So I think uh, my first boss is still my mentor, my dad, with whom I still stay is my mentor. And yes, there are certain books which have made an impact. In fact, as I mentioned about Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Good to Great by, by Jim Collins, and uh, there are many other books. But I've also, in the later part of my career, engaged with some coaches. Uh, in fact, there have been three different coaches I've had in the last 15 years, and I think I've learned a lot from them. I've also learned a lot from my own chairman, who's the founder of this organization and at the age of 84, the way he's committed to his business is something amazing to learn. And I think at top of all this, which I mentioned at the beginning, Edward, uh, the principles of Gita, uh, which I think has been, I mean, I've actually just started reading the book. It's not going to be easy, I know, because it's in Sanskrit, but. Uh, translated into english i've just started reading it i've just read one chapter but the principles which are there i think has been something from which i've learned which is do your best and leave it leave the rest to the things i mean in india we believe a lot on destiny we believe a lot on karma uh, but i think these have been something my guiding principles so my learning has come through from the mentors it's come from books and it has come from my colleagues and people whom i see around And I think from there I learned. Podcast is something I think I'm going to start with.
1: I'll I'll definitely share some recommendations on podcasts with you, but thank you for sharing those books. I'll I'll make sure to check them out and share them with our audience as well. Um, There's so many different ways of learning, so I appreciate you being transparent there. Number two, uh, more lighthearted, just curious, what are some of your favorite TV shows that you're currently watching?
0: Uh, so that's again something which I, you know, did never developed a lot of, um, I would say, love for them. So, uh, though my, I, I see my daughter and my son, you know, really they have some of their favorite TV shows. So I never got attracted to it. So it's mainly the CNBC news channels which I end up, uh, uh, you know, saying. And maybe during our entrepreneurship period, which was the first 15, 16 years, it was like 15 hours to 18 hours of work. So we never got time to, look at some of these, get into our hobbies or travel a lot. So unfortunately, yes, uh, Edward. you know, uh, I I would be lying to myself in case if I say that, you know, just for the sake of saying that, yeah, these are my favorite TV shows.
1: Hey, you're staying true and consistent. You're being honest and authentic. So last question for you, Sunil. If once, let's look at it this way. The reality is this pandemic will end at some point and we're all gonna have an itch, a craving to travel. Where's the first place you're gonna wanna go?
0: No, I think I would like to go back to Switzerland again. That's an amazing, amazing country. And we did spend some time with our family last year, actually during this time, we came back on 14th of August and my two kids and my wife and my father were there. And I think it was an amazing, amazing experience. I think I can go there and stay for I mean, some of the small villages there, the beautiful scenery. I think it brings you those, when you are in the natural uh, surroundings, the trees, the forest and everything, I mean, the mountains. It's a beautiful country. I think I would love to go back. In fact, I have actually an offer from my boss's boss. He just bought a, a house in a place called Zara. And he's told me that, yes, the moment this pandemic gets over, come and stay with my family for whatever time you want. And I think I would take up that offer from him.
1: I certainly recommend it, it sounds like a great opportunity. And I'm sure many of us, including myself, are kind of envisioning what that future looks like in terms of travel, in terms of experience, work, et cetera. And that's the only place we can look is forward and think through the opportunities, think through who we want to become. And again, I just wanna say thank you so much for spending time with us today telling us a little bit about yourself your story your journey there's so much that you've done throughout your career you've helped thousands of people really succeed and evolve and grow and if you walk away with anything today is pick one thing that Sunil said similar to how he walked away with one thing from the seven habits of highly effective people and and think through how you want to embody that, how you want to manifest that throughout the rest of your life. And again, Sunil, thank you so much, it was such a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Edward, it was really a pleasure talking to you and thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yes, I think I've been trying to find my purpose of life and possibly I think it's more and more now becoming that, yes, let me try to make an impact on one two, ten 10 people And if I can change someone's life for better, I think I've achieved my purpose of life. So thank you very much for having me this morning. Uh, It was great speaking to you. Thank you very much. And best of wishes for your journey, because I think you decided to give up a corporate life and get into something very different. Uh, It's going to be full of ups and downs. It's not going to be easy. It takes few years for anything to get successful. The only thing you can't lose is hope. Hope has to be greater than fear best wishes to you
1: that is super meaningful to me i appreciate you saying that sunil and before we even jump off i do want to make sure that our audience is able to stay connected with you and is able to reach out if they want to ask you any questions or guidance so what is the best way to get in touch with you sunil
0: yeah, so the best way, I think, is uh, I mean, I'm very uh, active on emails. Uh, my email ID is sunilg at gmail.com. And uh, I'm available on LinkedIn. Um, so these are two ways by which people can get uh, in touch with me. And I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone who would like to have any further uh, discussions. Absolutely not a problem. It would be actually my pleasure to do that.
1: Awesome. Sunil is ready to help one, two or 200 people. So again, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting Career Meets World. All
0: the best to you and your family. Thank you and uh, be safe. And uh, thank you very much, Edward, and have a great day ahead. Hey,
1: thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.